Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Jason Loha. Jason is the founder and CEO of Master Rooters LLC. Master Rooter is a full-service plumbing company in the Phoenix metro area. He started Master Rooters because he wanted to go back to old-school plumbing values by providing the best possible plumbing and drain cleaning service at the fairest price for his community. After being in the plumbing business for several years, Jason had seen trends come and go, so he is always investing in and testing new technologies in order to provide the best service and best options to his customers. Their mission is to be your go-to plumber for life by providing exceptional service and a fair price with transparency and knowledgeable solutions. And with all that said, Jason, welcome, welcome to the, to the show. show. Thank you, guys. Uh, the listeners don't know, it, it only took me three times to get that intro, which uh, wasn't a difficult intro by any means, but apparently uh, I got knocked off my rocker. Uh, so uh, I said a lot of great things about you and the company, but we really want to hear about uh, you, your origin story. Tell us about how you got in the business and then tell us about Mass Rooters. I, I grew up in the trades uh, and, and doing plumbing and stuff like that. Uh, my dad was what we call a chucking truck, right? One, one guy ah, yeah. working out of his garage, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure I was employee number one, and or number two, I guess he was number one, and, and never let me forget it. So I kind of grew up in, in that vein and doing that kind of stuff. Went to college for a little bit, tried a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and nothing stuck, and quite honestly, I just didn't love anything else and so whether it was from doing it before or anything else i loved my job i loved plumbing uh i really enjoyed my interaction with my customers uh you know you develop those relationships and some of them last forever right i've been to weddings and funerals and, and you know take care of at this point i take care of a customer that is a third generation i took care of his grandmother took care of his mother and i take care of his house so it, it was that that really kind of put me back into it and then the idea of owning your own company uh, never hurt. So it, it was uh, just kind of a natural fit and everything flowed that direction for me. Ah, yes, flowed, just like plumbing. See, that's good. That's a right. good uh, keyword stuff in there. I love that. Um, all right. So uh, we like to believe that people, process, technology, those are the three pillars of scale. Can you uh, give me what your, your power ranking of those three are, which is the most important, second, and then third? People is always number one, right? Okay. It, 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 especially in my business, because what we're selling realistically is people. Any plumber, 
to a certain extent, can put in a piece of pipe, right? I have a leak. I need a piece of pipe put in. Somebody do it. So to me, it's the people. You're, you're buying a person. I, I'm proud of my name and my logo, and, and I designed all that stuff, and so I love that. And I think that we're a great company. But at the end of the day, when I send a technician out to do a job and, and I send them to your house, you are selecting that technician based off of his presentation to you and whether or not you like him and whatever the stats are, right, that you decide if you like somebody on your first impression within the first half a second or whatever, whatever it is, there's still a huge ring of truth to that. So to me, it's people. Without the right people, you can definitely not succeed. And the transverse of that, which is with the wrong people, it will hurt your business. So to me, the first pillar that, you know, if I'm ranking number one, always is your people. It has to be. They, it's just such a huge part. And especially in a home service business where mm -hmm. I'm not bringing a customer to me per se, to my storefront. I'm sending my army of technicians out into the field it's the people every day. After that, I think it's the process. Uh, because again, now I send a technician to your house saying, what does he do? How, how does he do it? Right. And that's the process side of things. Uh, I, I like Howard Schultz in a lot of ways, uh, in the fact that every Starbucks is the same, right? I don't go into one in Japan versus one in New Orleans versus one in Phoenix it is the same everywhere. And it's there is something very powerful to that. So when I send a technician to your house, and now that technician is a good person, knows what they're doing, you like them, they smile pretty, whatever that is, right? And everybody has their different formula for that. Now I've got my people, it's the process. Do they attack the issue the same way every time so that they consistently feel like they got a good experience and they're consistently taken care of? when you have that many people working for you and out in the field, there's always going to be slip ups. There's always going to be issues, but ultimately that's where the process side kicks in is trying to be the Starbucks of plumbing or the Walmart of plumbing in the fact that the process is always the same. And we try to establish those, innovate those to be a little bit different, but at the end of the day, it's the people first, then the process. And then to me, it's the technology. Well, I don't love the idea of it, if I had to, I could still go back to old school methods, how I started with where my <laughs> technology was a pen and I had a paper invoice and I wrote it. I don't love that. I think that technology helps me scale and helps me grow quicker and it, it gives me more data that's readily accessible. But still today, some of the same data I look at is some of the same data that people looked at 40 years ago when everything was handwritten on a paper invoice. And so the the technology and the data piece, I think, is huge, and it's hugely important to making quick decisions. But if I had to do without one, I would do without the technology piece, but I would not do without the people. I wouldn't be in business. And without the process, I wouldn't need a bunch of people. I would only need one or two people. So you you have to have all three, I think, but technology is changing the way that my business is, but it's still the one that I could do without and at least be able to put food on the table. I love how you talked about that. You know, um, one of the fascinating things, especially during our pre-interview process, was what you talked about and your transition 
from essentially what you called a lifestyle business to scalable business. And I was fascinated. Uh, I love you're like, I think the only person so far that we found that has understood and made that transition. So can you tell the people where you started, why it was essentially a lifestyle business, and then how did you learn to become a scalable business? Yeah, so I mean, I, I this is my second crack at a plumbing business or a plumbing shop, if you will. So it, it, the first one I opened when I was in my 20s, early 20s, kind of, and really just grew that in the way that I, I knew how I didn't know any better. And again, you know, worked for my dad, he was a, a one man shop. So it was just kind of get as many customers as you can do a good job, uh, maybe run a little ad in the yellow pages uh, and, and get some word of mouth referrals and slowly add one truck and then three years later add another truck. And that provided me a great lifestyle, but I worked for it. So I made a good living personally, but I could not understand how there were companies out there that had 50 or 100 trucks on the road. And that was really hard for me to understand is how are they getting there? What are they doing to get there? And so it was that I have a good life. I, I'm okay. I, I make a good living. I probably made a better living at that time than anybody that I knew realistically, at least that I was close with or friends with. But if I didn't go to work that day, I didn't make as much money. And if I went on vacation for a week, I had a loss of income. And my business wasn't an asset because realistically, I was the business, even though I had a few trucks and a few technicians working for me. Because if I wasn't there, there was nothing, right? And everybody was still calling me and I was returning most of the phone calls and kind of the, the everything to the business. So I was the business. So it provided me a great lifestyle, but that was it. I was forced to sell that business and, and stuff like that and kind of moved forward from there. I went to work for some bigger companies, partially just because at that point, you know, I had a family to feed and, and needed to take care of everybody. And I have a skill set as a plumber. So I went to work as a plumber and I just ended up working for some of the big guys because they were always looking for people. So as I worked for those guys, I started seeing, oh, this is what they did to scale to 50 trucks or 100 trucks on the road. And I was stuck at six. This is how they got there. This is how they were able to scale. And so it allowed me to see that. So when I started Master Rooter, I started it very clearly with the idea that I was going to start the business larger than most, and I was going to scale it as quickly as possible. And the goal the whole time was to scale it and make it profitable so that at some point I can exit the business and not make the business me. I just happen to sit in the chair that says CEO, but if they plug another CEO in, it's still a profitable business. It can still run. And then that makes my business an asset, right? Whereas traditional thinking is your house is your biggest asset. Mine is my company. My company is my biggest asset. And to do that, you have to be able to sell it. It has to be able to scale because if somebody's going to come and buy your business and dump a bunch of money into it, they have to be able to say, if I put in X dollars, this is what my return in is. This is where my break even is. This is how I will get my money back and make more. So I really started this business and have grown this business very intentionally with that in mind, because that's the ultimate goal is to sell it and be done with it as an exit 
rather than pass it down to other generations. So that for me was very hard because what happens is, especially in the trades, right? You start because you're a really good plumber or HVAC guy or an electrician. So you buy a truck or a van or you have one and you're doing some side work. And the next thing you know, you have an LLC and you're running calls and you're making 150 grand a year, 200 grand a year, whatever it is. And you're thrilled, you know, and you're making more than you ever made as a technician. And you might be working even a little bit less. And so you're very happy. But the problem is when you say, well, how do I add another truck? And where do I get the calls for that other truck? And how quickly can I get those calls? You can be the greatest technician or tradesman in any field, but nobody's ever going to teach you that part, right? They don't teach you, here's how you scale, here's how you get calls. And so that's what I needed to learn. So my true college was working for other big guys to kind of learn how they did it and to pick what I liked and what I didn't like so that I wasn't starting over again as one man slowly building and adding a truck a year or a truck every couple of years. I opened the door with six trucks on the road. And by the end of the first year, I had 11. Can I, can I pause you for a second? Okay. What was the thing that you missed before sort of in your first plumbing business that you got now? What's, what's the big difference uh, in sort of that change in mentality? Because there's a lot of what you described, right? The 150, 200 grand, that lifestyle business, but they're lacking that scale part. What was it that you missed before that you get now? My business is a separate entity and I run it like that. My business makes the decisions and I am just an employee of my business. So when I ran it before, if I wanted a little bit bigger house, I would just work a little bit more and I would take out a little bit more money and I would buy a bigger house. Or if I wanted a boat or this toy or that toy or whatever I wanted. And that's very common, right? Because that's why we work is to provide for ourselves, provide for our families, whatever your reason why is. And so you can get caught in that trap. But the problem is when it comes to, okay, I want to add an extra truck and I want to add the calls for that. How do I do that? Where does that money come from? That's an investment. And a lot of people have a very hard time making that investment. But when you look at the large businesses and the way they scale, they don't make an investment. That is their business is to continue growing. That money never comes out of the business and goes into the CEO's pocket or anything else. That business constantly reinvests that money in another truck, more calls, more work, more revenue, and, and continues that cycle going forward all the time and runs it as if it is a completely separate entity of its own it, it's it is its own beast and it acts that way and you as the owner are simply a fiduciary of that business to make the best decisions possible to grow that business you have to set out your plan and this is the direction that this business will go and then you have to march forward on that path up that ladder of saying this is not i want to vote this is, if I want a boat, I'll save my money for my paychecks, but that boat that I might take the money out and buy myself, no, 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 that money never comes out. That money goes into another truck so that 10 years from now, I'm buying a yacht, not a fishing boat. <laughs> Yachts sound like a lot more fun than a fishing boat. And that's not because I'm not really a fisherman. That's just the reality of most people would say, you can always fish off a yacht. Um, it's just bigger yeah. fish. And you really, it, it, because it's the long-term vision, right? Uh -huh. Nobody thinks about, well, 
10 years from now, I could be here because it's that delayed gratification. And so that's very hard for a lot of people to understand, especially, I think, tradesmen, because, and I can only speak from personal experience, right? But you make a hundred grand a year for the first time and you're blown away. It's, wow, I'm making a hundred. I can remember I was 27 years old. I made a hundred grand the first year out of a truck. And I was, I think the third highest paid technician that I knew of, I was thrilled. I thought I had struck a rich. And then I went and started my own business and I made even less, you know, so <laughs> it was, but then it was like, oh, okay, I'm getting back up there. This is where I'm at now. Let me take some money out. Let me spoil myself. Let me tell myself, thanks. Let me tell myself, good job. But then I didn't have the calls to add another truck. And then as I did start to, and I worked harder and harder and harder, then I would bring on another truck, but then I had to take money to buy that other truck and save. So it becomes a real juggling act of calls and trucks and people and, you know, that, that whole piece. And, and that can be very difficult. Plus when you're working in the business and it's cliche, right? The work, work on your business, not in your business. Mm -hmm. When you're working in the business, you get stuck in the mindset of he doesn't do it as good as I do. He doesn't do it my way. So we take that out. So when I'm growing a business to scale, to sell, to move forward, it becomes, this is how everybody does everything. You can do it just as good as anybody else, as long as you can turn the wrench and you understand plumbing, which we'll teach you. And we have programs for that as well, but we'll get you to this level. And then everybody does it the same. Everybody is right here on the same playing field all the time. That's the process piece. And then it's not about, he doesn't do it as good as me, or she doesn't do it as good as me. It's Everybody does it the exact same as me because this is what I expect. This is how we treat every customer. This is the way we're going to do it. And then it's not about, ah, maybe I should reward myself. It's about the delayed gratification of the boost of when my company hits the next level, I go, this is, a, this is amazing. There's my gratification because the long-term goal is to exit and sell with a scalable business. And when I turn it over, look, it's got my name on it. If I sell the business to you, Justin, or, or I sell it to, you know, the, the some private equity firm, at the end of the day, it's got my name on it. The last thing I want is them to go, I, I bought a crummy business. This was a terrible purchase on my part. I want them to be able to say what this guy built was amazing and I will get my money back. And so I'm very happy that I paid him X dollars for his business. So you, so you started with six trucks. Where are you at now? Uh, and then where? what does the, let's go with five-year. What does that look like in, in, in size-wise, truck-wise? Yeah, so in terms of trucks, which we, is one major, right? So uh, I opened day one, six trucks on the road. Uh, and uh, if you include me. And so I looked because you guys asked me the other day and I didn't know 100% off the top of my head. So I looked, I have 26 trucks on the road today. Awesome. So we've, put 20 trucks on the road in the last four years. So we're averaging five trucks a year, which is about where I like to be in terms of a good growth metric. I like to try to add at least one truck per quarter mm -hmm. uh, to, to really feel like I'm getting there. There's times that we'll add two or three at a time and then you know maybe take a quarter off. But it, it, because our business is somewhat seasonal because in, in the Phoenix metro area, you've got the snowbirds right? Yeah. And see visitors. So you're obviously much busier in December than you are in, uh, you know, June or July when yeah. everybody wants to be out of Phoenix. So 
it's a little bit seasonal from that standpoint, but we want to grow from there. In the next five years, I would like to get somewhere in the neighborhood. I, I, <laughs> I would like to get up to north of 50 for sure and, and probably closer to 75. All right. Oh, you know, uh, as you're, you know, this new mentality around, you know, compared to first business, the second business around scaling, what, uh, what it reminded me of is that this is the ultimate marshmallow test. This is like the adult version of the marshmallow test. And for those of you that don't know, I think at, I don't remember what age, but at a very young age, uh, maybe like three, four, I think is around the age where you sit a marshmallow in front of a child, right? As a parent, and then tell them you will get two. Uh, I'll be right back to get you a second, you know, second marshmallow. Um, but you're not going to get it if you eat this one before I get back. And then you leave for like 10, 20 minutes or something like that, then come back. And those that have essentially waited the 10, the 10 minutes or so, they get the two marshmallows, right? Or the two piece of chocolate or two cookie, but marshmallows is where it started out at. Yeah. Um, this is, this is the exact example of delayed gratification of if I wait, I will get more, right? Yeah. Um, just the adult version of, of the marshmallow test. So this is and, the difference. And it becomes a lot harder when you start playing with real dollars that you <laughs> have access to. And the more you grow, the bigger those dollars get, because now I'm not playing in the hundreds of dollars. I'm playing in the thousands and I'm no longer playing in the thousands. I'm playing in the tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands of dollars. That can be very difficult, right? There has been times in my career, you know, and master rooter where I have literally sat there and gone, I could give myself a bonus in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, or I could leave the money in the company and continue to grow on the trajectory that I want. And here's where it will take me. That's, so, uh, <laughs> that's never a fun decision to make, but you have to make the right one. And again, I still put it back to, I'm just a fiduciary of the company. Would, if the company had a mind of its own, would the company say, yeah, let's give the CEO a $100,000 bonus, a $50,000 bonus? Or would the company say, let's put another truck on the road and get the calls for that technician so that we're bringing in whatever revenue each truck brings in over the next 36 months, 48 months that that truck will last? If the company had a mind of its own, I think the choice is pretty clear. Oh yeah. Why yeah. would I take the money out for myself? Okay. So um, there's an argument to be made. There, there's a good amount of people that would say, well, you know, you need to have a company profitable. What you're saying is uh, any dollar that's outside of essentially wage, you're reinvesting the company. So you're running at, at or near zero profitability in quotes, right? Um, sure. So how do you know when you're doing well, because you're con continually reinvesting, how do you know when you're when you're doing well? When the technical, you know, when you look at sort of bottom line profitability, it's not really uh, you're running close to or near zero, right? How do you know it? How do you know when you're doing well? Well, so for us, it's it's a little bit easier because we can just look at those capital expenses and say, here's what I've spent on capital expenses. So if I just do a very simple add back of I put five hundred thousand dollars into new equipment, a new division, a new area, and I put 
$500,000 into additional vehicles this year, I really had a million dollars profit, but I didn't take it because I put half a million dollars into additional vehicles and that generated 10 additional vehicles on the road. And I put half a million dollars into new equipment that allowed us to go into this new profit arena. And so realistically, I didn't have to do that. And if I wouldn't have done that, then I would have had an additional half a million dollars. So that maybe is the simplest way. Okay. But I also believe in just the general, you should know your numbers. So it's the general area of the ad backs, right? I sit there and I can look at and say, technically, this is an ad back. Technically, that's an ad back if I want to just be profitable. Now, I, I try not to run it quite at a zero profit, Will. I don't I, I think that that's always the smartest thing because at some point you may want to borrow some money or something to get over the next hurdle. So I don't necessarily always run it at a zero profit, but I think that watching those dollars and watching that cash flow very close is extremely important because money and time are really two assets that a business has that can really differentiate you from any one of your counterparts, your competitors is, do I have the money to do what I want? And do I have the time to invest in getting to where I want to be? <clears throat> they may not have those. So that can really differentiate you. So there's a simplistic sort of formula uh, out there. And tell me if you agree with this. Essentially, whatever your growth rate is year over year uh, in terms of dollars, revenue, how, however you want to call that, um, uh, versus the, uh, so your growth rate of your company versus percentage of, we'll call it EBITDA or bottom line, mm -hmm. right? If you add those two together, it should equal to somewhere between about 40 to 50 that. So depending on, depending on the company, what your goals are, is that kind of the direction that you're going essentially EBITDA and uh, we'll call it growth rate of your company equals, you know, some number, right? Healthy mm -hmm. companies, especially as they get really big, 40 seems to be the magic number. Um, as they get really big, uh, because trying to grow more than 20% a year, uh, starts getting really, really hard. You're considered a really good company if you can continually continue to grow that, that rate. Is that kind of the methodology that you're looking at? To some extent, but again, I think you have to balance that out, right? So we've been open just over four years now that we, that I've been open as master router and running the company. <clears throat> we are growing at about a 40 blended over the last four years or about a 48% growth margin. You're over huge. Awesome. So, right. Yeah. We, we, we have not gone below 40. So if I use that and I just go uh, 40, Will says I'm successful and the internet 40 to I'm 50, successful. depending on the company, right? <laughs> no, and, and I get what you're saying, but you understand what I'm saying too, right? Yeah. If I just use that and say, great, mm, not necessarily because my EBITDA says I lost 300,000 last year. That's not sustainable either. So yes, I do think that that, again, so my basic way of saying that is add back and then you've got your growth. Because I think if you're investing, so it would give you an add back, but you don't have EBITDA, you don't have growth, excuse me, take out the EBITDA. If you don't have growth, you'll never achieve EBITDA. So yes, you have to balance that out a little bit, right? And say, okay, I'm growing at 45%, but I also invested a million dollars or pick whatever the magic number is, right? Because it's different in every business. But to say, I invested this, so that's also an ad back. And then because of that, 
here's what my EBITDA actually could be, and here's what it actually was. I think you have to look at all of those pieces, not just did I hit 40. So some of that comes from the let me take the book and let me take real life and blend the two together a little bit. I love the perspective there uh, that it's that it's not always an exact science. It's, an, it's kind of an approximation. That's that's just business, though, right? I mean, yeah. you, you kind of learn that along the way. You can you can sit in an ASU business school all day long and they tell you that and then you go, yeah, but what about? And then they go, well, yeah, of course. Well, that's coming from a professor as opposed to a guy like me or you guys or somebody else that runs a business. So you always have to balance it out. And again, a business to me, it's its own entity. Every business is a little bit different. And so it's my job as its fiduciary to kind of know that business, like I would know one of my kids, right? And, and be able to pick up on the idiosyncrasies of that business to say, yes, okay, here's how I am growing. So I think those are good guides and benchmarks to use, but you still have to know your business, know your industry, know the direction that you're heading. Hey, everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something that gets you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildingscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. Oh, it's just good business uh, right there. It's, uh, that is right. Th- I could tell from sort of the first versus second time, you've uh, you've gone through the school of hard knocks. <laughs> uh, and you learned a lot from, from the four companies that you were with, uh, sort yeah. of in between. You definitely learned a lot because you're growing at a rate that's way faster than before. Yes. Um, just for... Uh, you have technically two lines of business. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I found I found it super fascinating. So we um, have basically two revenue streams, right? One is the traditional service plumbing, where if you call when you have a clogged drain, or you call when you have a leak in the wall, or you call when you have a leaking water heater, we send a technician out. He corrects that problem. It's mainly focused on residential, we do about an 80-20 split, 20% light commercial, shopping centers, things like that. And then, uh, you know, a grocery store, a Target, maybe here or there. And then 80% is your residential homeowner that wakes up in the middle of the night with a leak, picks up the phone, Googles, calls, and says, come out and fix this right away, please. So that's our first revenue stream. So it's standard service plumbing. The great part about that is it's never going to go away. Right. It can't be outsourced. It can't be replicated from India or from Pakistan or anything else. I will always be able to maintain a business and a living by doing that. And you're providing a service. Most people have a plumber in their house three times on average in their entire lifetime. They're scared to death. They hate the thought of it. So many plumbers have ripped people off over the years and have done them dirty or perceived have done them dirty from a customer perspective, right? I called them out, they were here 30 minutes, they charged me $3,000 and they left. And it's that ooh feeling and they hate that. So we have a great opportunity there to continue to grow, to continue to educate and to be able to provide a really good service for somebody that says, 
these guys came out. They were very fair to me. They treated me right. They were personable. And every time the service is the same, whether it's Joe or Bob or Jack that's here, every time it's good, level service, good, fair price. The price is the same. No matter which technician comes out, it's just good service. So that's revenue stream number one is just the traditional standard plumbing service. Revenue stream two, and I dabbled with a few different ones over the years as I was growing, but revenue stream two is what we call our pipelining division. In essence, what that is, is if you take a old drain line that has problems with it, we rehabilitate that drain line. So as opposed to removing that drain line and putting in a new one, which could be under concrete, under several feet of dirt, on a, in drywall, in concrete, whatever the case is, we have the ability to basically go in, use technology to both clean and refurbish that pipe and then put a new coating on the inside of that pipe that in essence allows it or in realistically makes it into a new pipe from the inside out. So that is going to greatly cut down on your cost of repairs afterwards, what we call build back, right? I now no longer have to put back the drywall or the concrete or the flooring, things of that nature. In addition to which we do the majority of that in commercial applications. So if you think about a to, to me, the easiest one is a shopping center. And I have a drain line that runs right down the middle of a shopping center underneath five different shops. Old school plumbing would be, I'm going to come in, I'm going to saw cut right down the center of all five of those shops. I'm going to dig a trench right down the center of all five of those shops. I'm going to pull out the old drain line. I'm going to put in the new drain line, put the dirt back, put the concrete back, take a huge check from you, shake your hand and say, see you later. And now you as the landlord have to Put those shops back together for that shopkeeper. That shopkeeper's got however long that took that they were inconvenienced at the least, maybe closed their business, maybe had shorter hours, whatever it is, dealt with the disruption. And now they have to put their store back together. They have potential loss of revenue. They have the potential loss in customers over the long term. And that process takes, call it two weeks, three weeks, something like that. Whereas now we have the ability to go in and maybe in two or three nights, without any disruption to the customer, completely refurbish and in essence, put that new pipe into place and there's no disruption, there's no build back necessary. That's a huge win for the landlord, for each of the individual shops that are there. And for us, because our both our cost of goods in terms of the material that we're putting in, our cost of technology and equipment is higher, but our labor is lower. So it allows us to change that equation a little bit of how much are we making off of labor versus equipment versus cost. And it also can become a differentiator. It's not something that everybody does. It's not something that every plumbing company offers. So especially at a very high level. Guys, right. get into it more. Okay, hold on. Uh, so there's definitely a value. A, the amount of time that it takes super valuable, right? Uh, because then the you're not affecting the businesses or the people that are wherever this needs to be done, especially in larger commercial uh, aspects. You're just, it, so it's not about that it costs less, but mm -hmm. it, the amount of time as well as sort of the surrounding, okay, now you have to patch up things uh, like in a high rise building, right? It's a little bit, a little bit different as well. So 
okay, pardon my ignorance, but if you're sort of relining the pipes that are old, aren't you losing, you know, aren't you losing some diameter where you're going to cause more clogging anyways and cause other sort of soft cost expenses down, down the road? Yes, I am. No, yes, you are losing some diameter. That liner that goes in there is anywhere between one millimeter up to four millimeters in thickness. So even if it is a four millimeter thickness liner all the way around the pipe, it's negligible. But in addition to that, you are picking up your flow rate because of the new material that's in there, especially as compared to the old, depending on what type of old material, you're going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 times better flow rate, maybe even a little bit more. So the flow rate that you're picking up as compared to the ID that you're losing doesn't matter. And that's been approved by every municipality, every organization out there. It meets every code necessary to be able to do it. So obviously they're not concerned about it. There's a ton of studies on that. So that's not a concern is the inside diameter that you're losing. Because again, you're picking up so much flow rate and the way that everything is rated anyway, in terms of meeting code and how it's going to pass is based off of your potential max use and still your potential max use is not going to be impacted enough by four millimeters or two millimeters. It's not an impact that anybody would ever notice. Okay. Um, in terms of residents, let's say high rise, you gave me a good example before about the 14 story high rise building. Yeah. Um, can you talk through a little bit the difference there? Because I think the technology, I think it was a really good story and kind of understanding soft versus hard cost, as well as like what has to happen afterwards. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we're doing a project uh, where it's a 14 story high rise uh, and there are, there's two towers. It's 198 total units. Okay. So if you, and they're all individually owned condoms. So if you think about it from the perspective that Every one of those units has somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's call it eight drain lines running through it from top to bottom, running vertically in every unit. So to replace all of those drain lines would require a contractor to go in, cut through the wall from ceiling to floor in every single unit in eight places from floors one through 14 and replace all of that pipe. Then the aftermath becomes fixing a channel where a pipe was in at least eight different places in 198 residences, plus painting what's in front of that, right? What's the finish on the front of that? Is it tile? Is it Venetian plaster? Is it the Mona Lisa hanging over? You, you just don't know, right? So everything could be different. You now have to do that. So the cost isn't necessarily less. It's very competitive. The difference is you don't bear the additional cost of the build back. The, the other part is for a project like that, that would take approximately without build back, depending on the crew and depending on the access that you had, that would take approximately two to three years to do that in a traditional method. Mm -hmm. That project will take us approximately one year, front to back to redo all of the pipes. So they're all done in one year, everybody's done, and we're doing that with residents still living in the building. Is there some disruption? Sure, there's a time when we go in and say, sir, today, I'm sorry, you cannot use your toilet while we line this line, but tomorrow you'll be able to. So they have some minimal disruption, 
but it's much less, I promise you, than having a crew of 10 guys in your unit while I cut channels in your wall and physically replace the pipe and then leave and say, see you later. And the next day you have another guy in there that's putting up drywall and tramping that stuff all over. So not only is the build back better, but the ability to work with that resident, with that person and save some time and time really equates to money, right? At, at the end of the day, when I started, I, I was never a guy of a lot of words. I used to write on my invoices, handwrite, replace drain line from house to street. And the cost was $5,000. And, you know, if you, if you look at it like that, the customer would come out and he would say, okay, you know, you're charging me whatever it is, you know, $500 a word. You really didn't write much here. But how many days is it going to take you? And if I said, it's going to take me three days, he would sit there really quick and go, well, you know, that's about $1,700 a day that I'm paying you. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but okay. And that's the way that a customer looked at it. Over the years, what ended up happening is for the same five, you know, $5,000 or equivalent cost. And I would say to a customer, look, we're going to replace the drain line from your house to the street. And it's going to cost you $6,000 by, you know, their, the market that day. And he says, okay, fair enough. How long is it going to take you? And if I said three days, the customer would go, three days? Why so long? Can, can you not get this done sooner? Because the world has changed, right? It's become yeah. a, do it for me now. Get it done now. I don't care what the cost is. What I care is how long are you going to inconvenience me for? How long do I have to wait for you to give me what I'm paying for? Where it used to be, well, if I'm going to pay you X, I want to know that I'm getting a good value for my dollar. How much am I paying you per day? And now it's, it is, how much am I going to pay you to get the heck out of my hair so I don't have to keep dealing with you when this job is done? So that has changed. And so in, in line with that, that's where pipelining is becoming more popular and more prevalent because it's now turning into, I'm going to pay for this either way. What I want to know is, how long do I have to deal with you for? How much inconvenience am I going to have until this project is done and over with? Not to mention then the inconvenience on the backside of that, which is, oh, wait, I don't have to have my walls put back and paint redone and worry about if the paint matches or and the patch matches. It's And the next day you're not? That's great. That's what I want. So they're not as concerned with the price now as they are with the service that they're getting. And the service that they're getting in most cases is how long are you going to bother me for since I'm going to write this check for you? Very different mentality for, yeah. for, for consumers as well as even commercial, right? So uh, I love how you, how the traditional versus kind of the new way. Love how you depicted that. Thank you. You, you mentioned, um, Obviously, people being most important and uh, getting the right people, uh, you know, to to then do the processes that get to the piping, pipe fitting, uh, or pipelining technology. Uh, mm -hmm. What what does that process look like? You've grown a bunch, so you must be doing a really good job. That's that's a pretty good indicator of that. You have to have referrals and things. So when you think of the process side. Um, I'll, I'll be there. Both, I guess, both sides, the pipelining, but as well as uh, the tr more traditional. Um, you know, plumber going to a house, fixing fixing a sink or fixing the toilet, fixing whatever they have going on. What? How, how have you been able to take that process and kind of make it so um, 
so structured that you're you're getting the same service over and over again, no matter who's in, who's in your house. So we use a couple of different systems, right? You have uh, we have a, a system that's very popular in the plumbing industry mm-hmm. called Service Titan, which is a customer retention management price book and kind of everything. And we really try to utilize that system because I can set certain steps in that that say, you know, you're going to do this first, and then you're going to do this next, and you'll do this third. So we utilize that somewhat. I personally believe, and, and and again, this is one of those things I learned from working for other companies and then saying that works and that doesn't. The the old KISS method, right? To keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Try to set your priorities. Put it out there. This is what's important, guys. Here it is. And let's try to keep that a little bit simple. Try to not bury your guys or people in minutia that may not be important so that the important things to you, to me, get hit and they are hit consistently and then train to that inspect to that expect that and hold accountable to that this is the way we do business you will do this and there will be consequences if you don't which you know ultimately is going to be your you might be a great plumber you're just not a master rooter level plumber so you know at the end of the day you won't be here but we find that our people like that so we try to set very simple straightforward expectations for our people of this is how we do it we try to keep it again as simple and minimal as possible while still achieving everything that we want to achieve we also try to do some of that on the back end at the office so from the time the call comes in to setting up exactly what it is exactly how it's going to go and some of the back-end data that the girls put in that they receive from the customer over the phone because it's a little bit easier as I'm on the phone with you, right, to tell you, yes, it's this, yes, it's that, than have to constantly go back and forth with the technician on the phone. Because again, now I'm a little uncomfortable. Now you're in my space, we're in my house, we're in my bedroom, we're in my master bathroom. About 80% of our customers on, on a service level are women, right? The wife is the one that's at home dealing with the plumber that's coming while the husband's at work for the day, or she's the one that was able to take off work and he, he had something that he couldn't. So, so she's dealing with that. So if you put yourself in that customer shoes, right? I, I'm a female at home by myself. I now have a guy that looks like me with a beard and, you know, too much testosterone walking through the door. <laughs> and now he's stuck in my master bathroom. Mm-hmm. That can be a little off-putting, right? Yeah. So can we take that down? Can we take that level out and just say, how long has this been happening for? Great. I understand let me look at this. Let me take a picture of it. Okay, let's get out of here and let's go talk about it and then provide you with options and say, here's option one, here's option two, here's option three. Which would you like to do? It really removes a lot of that negative stigma and a lot of the nervousness from, oh man, they really shoehorned me into this and kind of forced me and I don't like the decision I made. You made the choice. Here's option one, two, and three. They're on paper right in front of you, or in this case, they're on a tablet right in front of you, right? And the guys just go through and click a button and say, here's what they need. And it auto builds that form and says, here's the three options that you have. And so now I can say, ma'am, here's option one, two, and three. It's much easier to see that and to take that and go, okay. And it's easier to accept. And some of that's because it's built on the back end. So very minimal processes for the technicians as much as possible, because we try to do as much as possible on the back end before and or after or during the call to help assist with that. More preemptive. 
uh, in comparison to React. No, that makes tons of sense. Try to, yeah, try to. It's not perfect. It's never going to be, sure. right? Because every situation is different. I walk into your house, it's one thing. I walk into Will's house, it's a different thing. And I walk into Miss Jones' house, it's a different thing, even though you all have a leak in the exact same spot. So there, there's always going to be a little change to it, but that's where the people come in of, can you identify that? Can you still take the nervousness out of the situation and still walk them right down the chain of, here's where we are, here's what your options are, here's what you need. So essentially you can't change the suck uh, as to what's happening. <laughs> the only thing you can do is give them the options for when they have to fix it, I guess would be a good way. You're in a crappy situation, right? You're in a situation that nobody wants to be in. When I was in a truck and I was out in the field dealing with you know, customers and walking into the house, and I used to say to my customer when I would give them a price and they would say, I can't believe it's so expensive. And I would say, I get it. I really do. Because nobody sits there and saves for a plumbing problem. You save for vacation. You save for a new house. You save for a new car. Nobody saves and goes, gee, I can't wait to put thousands of dollars into a pipe that I'm never going to see again just so when I turn my shower on, it works. Nobody does that. But that's the reality. You just got dealt a sucky hand. Like you said, you can't change how much it's going to suck. All you can do is deal with what you have. So here's the options. Let's let you pick the one that's best for you because I don't know your situation. I don't know whether you want to do this or don't want to do it. But my guess is you don't. But what I know is you have to do it because... If not, you won't use that toilet or that shower or take a hot shower. So let's make that as palatable for you as possible and try to deal with it in the best way we can for you. Yeah, no. um, I can see how service would be good in regards to that ideology and thinking of philosophy, um, taking that preemptive approach, understanding, hey, I am standing in somebody's bedroom or master bath and like, being conscientious of it um, is just really smart. It's not, obviously, I've never been a plumber, so it's not a thing I've ever thought about. But like as you say, it makes so much sense. Um, oh, ton, ton of sense. So uh, uh, one other question. So uh, obviously, service is good, so that gives you referrals. But there's got to be other stuff you're doing to grow. Right? There's got to be some marketing initiatives or something. What's that look like? So we do we do marketing. Obviously, we do a lot of the traditional marketing with Google. The the world is. Sure. When I started, it was an ad. It was I had a business card size ad in the yellow pages. It was awesome. Now it's I flood the flood Google and you know let them take all my money. So <laughs> we, do, we do marketing online, both SEO and PPC uh, okay. with Google. Uh, we have a billboard campaign, so we have billboards around uh, and do some of that. We do a back end market, what what we call a back end marketing piece, which is, and that's kind of where I think you said it during the intro, right? We want to be your plumber for life. Sure. My belief, and this is just a me thing, is if I do a really good job, you will remember me. You may or may not remember Master Root. You may or may not remember the name of the company or the phone number to the company that did a good job, but you will remember me. So it becomes incumbent upon me as the technician to then do something and me as the company, you know, with the technician to do something that says, this is what you will do to help that customer remember the company so they can call you back. So we do the business card and the fridge magnet. We do stickers on the appropriate thing. So we install the water heater. We put a sticker. We install sure. a garbage disposal or a water softener. There's a sticker. 
we have stickers that go on cleanup. So it says, okay, here you go. When we're there on a multi-day project, we have signs just like a painting contractor does or a, a pool contractor, right? That go in the yard that says, hey, this is why we're here. Obviously, we're wrapping our trucks. So we try to take that multifaceted approach to getting their attention. But some of it then just comes down to, Mr. Smith, if you really liked me, feel free to call back and ask for me next time because you can request me and I will be here to take care of you. That's awesome. I, I love that. Um, does that create uh, process problems? I guess would be the question. You know, my, my brain is saying like, oh, well, his truck is in this area at this day. Does that create any of that kind of hiccup or is that kind of just, that's just, we're accepting that because we are accepting that we want the, the client to feel as comfortable as possible. And that inherently will have a, a lot of benefit in the long run. Asking for the same technician is very interesting because where there is a obvious like customer client experience, uh, amazingness to that because they want the same person that they feel and trust, doesn't that create process problems in regards to like, well, that truck isn't available or that uh, technician isn't available for a week or two weeks or whatever, you know, depending on what that looks like, uh, doesn't right. that create an issue there? Not really because we handle it on the back end. And again, we go back to the, especially on that side, very customer centric, right? So you call in, you say, hey, I want Justin. He was an amazing plumber. Send him back out. Not a problem, sir. Here's when his next availability is. Uh -huh. Would you like to wait? You can, as a customer, you say, yeah, I'll wait till Thursday. Or you can say, no, this is an emergency. It has to be fixed. Not a problem. But he's not available. Here's you know, I have plenty of other guys that are, and that's where then the processes go into place of now, now Will's my technician and Will does it exactly the same as Justin did. That's the goal, right? Is that we do that. So yes, you can call in, you can ask for him and we'll put it back on the customer's plate of you can choose. Here's when he's available. It might be immediately. It might be three days from now, but this is what we have for you and let that customer make the decision that suits them best that they feel the most comfortable with. That makes sense. Uh, more yet mo using process more uh, to, to have a better client experience, uh, even when they're asking for something specific. I love that. So that makes some sense. Um, all right. We have one final question that we'd like to ask everybody, Jason. Um, so uh, if you could go back 20 years, maybe 2003, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? Other than buy Bitcoin and Apple and Google stocks. <laughs> Other than that, what else would you tell yourself? Um, don't, I, I think you limit yourself, right? I, I, and I would tell myself not to limit myself. Don't think that you have to start small and work your way up. Look at the ways that those guys got there and don't just take the, mm, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really expensive. It's going to be, don't ever take that. You should set that site just where you want it to be originally. And when you had that dream, that thought, don't go away from that. That was the right thought. Now figure out how to get there and go for it. Don't go for a stepping stone. And I went for a stepping stone, right? I started small and then it was, eh, that didn't work. Okay, I'll go big. If I would have done it right in the beginning, I would have went big right away. And so that's what I would tell myself. What I would tell anybody else is whatever that original dream is that you had as an entrepreneur to get to here, don't deviate from that. Because 
the old shoot for the moon, hit the stars theory. If I shoot for the moon and I hit the stars, I'm still doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, at least I tried it. I went for it and I, I went after it. And that's what I would tell myself. That's what I would tell everybody. Do not let yourself talk yourself out of going for it and go for it a hundred percent all the way all in and see what you can achieve awesome uh awesome. love that advice love that advice uh we will put all of your social media and all that kind of fun stuff in the show notes but if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or uh, master rooters what's the best way for them to do that so we have our, our website is just masterrooter.co uh, we left off the end just to make ourselves a little bit different than everybody else. So it's just masterrooter.co. We're on all the social medias, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, I'm on there too. So look us up on the web. Certainly you can call the office. We're, we're here for everybody. Uh, and, and then any, uh, any of the social medias, we're happy to interact with everybody. Awesome. 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 Well, we had a really good time talking to you, Jason. Uh, and you're, you're right down the block from me essentially in Mesa. So I love that. Um, We'll have to we'll have to go get a coffee or something. And yeah. uh, for all our listeners, I hope you had just as good of a time. Uh, and until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.